today. Some of you will think that we're going to be pushing the bounds of appropriateness in a Sunday morning service. We're not. I'm only talking about what the Bible says. But then we're going to have fun with it, okay? So let me just ask you this really quick question. And, and if, you're, if you're a first time here, we talk back and forth to each other, okay? So I'm going to ask you for some input and want you to talk back to me, all right? There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 11. And it mentions a particular word. And I'd like for you to give me some synonyms for this word, all right? So, and it's not every Sunday morning when you talk about vomit in church. Matter of fact, because we thought we'd put some fake stuff at the door and you came in, but we were afraid it would cause a spontaneous reaction and we would have more than one fake one there. But Proverbs 26.11 talks about vomit. I'd like to know, what are some other words that you might have used or heard for this particular word, vomit? You want to talk to me about that? Upchuck. Thank you very much, Judy. First one out of the gate. There we go. Come and give me some other stuff, please. Puke, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Barf, thank you very much. Regurgitation. Regurgitation. Oh, she wants to be formal. That's, yeah, very good. Yes, sir. He raised his hands. Hurl. Boom, that's right. Anyone else? What? Blowing chunks. Thank you very much. Thank you. I see, I see that hand. I see that hand. Throw up. Thank you very much. I see another hand in the back. Spew. I need to see another hand. Double duty right here. Toss your cookies. Yes, thank you, Gary. Ralph. Ralph, thank you very much. Anyone ever worship at the porcelain idol? That's one of them. And then there's like, you know, so those are just a few of the words. You know, a couple of others I'd never heard were defood yourself, a liquid laugh, and unswallow. There you go. There you go. How about that? Open up your Bibles to Proverbs twenty six eleven. Like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool is a fool who repeats his folly. I love the Bible for this kind of reason right here, because it just says things in such. I'm a I'm a visual thinker. I learn by kind of th- that kind of stuff, and so the Bible is just so visual. And so, like, right now, we are all thinking the same thing because of this visual image that the author is put before us. As a dog returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Most of us would define, first of all, let me just ask you something. Like, how would you define fool? How would you, what would you, if I said fool, what would you say? A fool is what? Somebody over here? Disobedient. Okay, very good. What else? An idiot. Thank you very much. Yes. Fareed? Someone who doesn't learn from experience? Unwise. Unwise. Anyone else? Kate? Doesn't want to apply wisdom to the decision-making. Good. Yes, sir? Foolish. Foolish. You can't use the word in a definition. (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, typically I think many of us think of a fool as someone who is silly or comical, perhaps, often. And perhaps someone who makes bad choices or decisions. But you guys have already hit on really what the essence of a fool is, especially biblically speaking. We can say in verse 26, even though there is much... We're going to stay in chapter 26, even though there's much more we could go to, to learn about the nature of a fool, all right? So very first thing, we learn immediately in verse 1 that, that honor is not fitting... For a fool, that's in verse 1 right there. It says, so honor is not fitting for... Like snow in the summer 
or rain and harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 3 takes it further, and it says, A whip is for the horse and a bridle for the donkey. Now, those two things immediately right there to understand the rest of the verse. What does the, the whip, you know, like a jockey is, is on a horse and he's whipping a horse, or a bridle for a donkey, what are those two things used for with the animal? Control. Exactly. Control. And so it says, like a whip for a horse, a bridle for a donkey, so is a rod for the back of a fool. So in other words, a fool is someone who needs to be controlled. They're uncontrollable, in other words. So a fool is someone who needs to be controlled. Look at verse 6. Right there it says, He who cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sin, um, he cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message with the hand of a fool. In other words, they can't be trusted. They won't do the job. And verse 10 says a similar type of thing. And again, this is just this graphic, pictorial kind of thing that they say here. Like an archer who wounds everyone. Well, that's not the intent of the archer. The archer is intended to wound the enemy. But they're saying, but an archer who wounds everyone. So is he who hires a fool or hires those who pass by. So you can't trust this person to do the job. Going down, it says, um, verse 7, Like the legs which hang down from the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So in other words, wisdom is useless with a fool. Verse 9, similarly, verse 9 says, Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So a a drunk might not feel the pain of the thorn in their hand, so the wisdom or usefulness of wisdom is useless with a fool. Verse 11. Verse 11, which is the one we're talking about. Fools keep going back for more. And someone already mentioned that a moment ago. They keep going back for more. No matter how disgusting, no matter how dumb it may be, they are not detoured. They, 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 They keep doing it over and over again. But perhaps a fool is best summarized in this particular chapter in verse 12, where it says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. At the very essence, at the very core of a fool is pride. We're going to see that as we look through this passage or through the book a little bit further. It's pride. This is a great time to note that Proverbs compares two things over and over again. Even though they don't compare them by side by side, large passages of Proverbs, they talk about wisdom, especially in the very first verse of verses, uh, chapters. They talk about wisdom, they talk, where they, they talk about the value of it, the results of it, how to find it, where not to find it. And the pinnacle of wisdom is found in chapter 1, verse 8. Will you turn there with me, all right? Or verse 7, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 7. So, if we want to, if we're learning about a fool or foolishness, it is best to compare it to what is not a fool or not foolish. In this case, that comparison would be wisdom. And so here, in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There you have it. The difference between fools and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. 
the fear of the Lord. Now, just this week in our sermon discussion on Tuesdays here at Crossing, there's a group of people who get together and we talk about the passage that we're going to be preaching from that Sunday. And so in, in our discernment discussion group on Tuesday, it came up, so what is it about the fear, you know? And that fear that is speaking thereof is not a fear like I'm afraid of, like I'm cowering from. It's not like the cowardly lion type of fear, you know? Instead, the fear we're talking about there is more of a reverential fear. It's, it's the type of fear that says, I want to know what you think, and I'm what you think and say is more important than what anyone else thinks and say. That's the type of fear it's speaking of about God. And so, you know, when you're in a job, you know, and you have another employee working alongside of you, and they say, and you go to do a particular task, and you start doing the task, and the employee goes, just do it like this. Well, but the boss said do it like this. Well, who do you want to do it like? Do you want to do it the way the employee says, oh, just do it like this. You don't have to do that. Or do you want to do it the way the boss said to do it? Who matters most? Who's going to sign your paycheck? Who's going to fire you at the end of the day? Or who's going to say, I'll see you tomorrow morning? The dude next to you? Or the boss? It's that same type of thinking. It's that same type of rationale. It's that same thing when we talk about fear of the Lord. And so God says, here is the way to live your life. Here is what I expect of you. Here is what it means to follow me well. This is it. And then you come alongside and say, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do that. It's okay. We are in the throes. We are so deep in that issue today than we've been in the existence of our nation. It's okay to believe that same-sex marriage is fine. Don't worry about what God said. Don't worry about that. It's okay. Well, this is an issue that you just need to know. Whether you figure that out now, you'll definitely figure that out later. Because someday you will stand before your boss And he'll say, this is what I instructed you as. Did you do as I asked? Or did you do as everyone else told you was okay? The fear of the Lord in this issue is paramount. What do you think he says? Because if he says that, then that is what we need to be about. Fear the Lord. I care what he cares about. I want to know what he knows. I want to do what he says. I want to follow them the way he says to be followed. And right now, you and I, but especially you in these green shirts and everyone your age, that is being tested viciously. What do you believe? God says it or what everyone else says? So that's what the fear of the Lord is about. And note what it says, that those who follow him and those who abide by him and those who care what he cares about, what does it say, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise that wisdom and that instruction. Fools despise that wisdom and instruction. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian 
who is a clinical psychologist, an author and speaker. And he has helped me a great deal in his teaching about fools and wisdom. And he says that the wise, when you deal with a wise person, he says, when you instruct them, they respond. When you instruct them, they listen. They take instruction, they apply it. As a matter of fact, they even appreciate instruction. They thank you for it. So the the wise are open to instruction. They want to know how to do it right. They want to know what is expected. And then when they hear it, they reply to it. They respond to it. They apply it to their life. But the fool, and we're going to see that in chapter 1, and we could even see it in chapter 26 further, but the fool... Fools are not dumb, necessarily. They might be incredibly smart. They might have lots of initials after their names. They might make lots of money. They might have a lot of people who work for them. They might have a lot of power and influence. They might be gifted. But when you cast a light on a fool and that attention comes they don't adjust themselves to the light so for instance you know if you have a light and the light says this is the path the wise man says the light is leading me this way I'm going to follow the light I want to stay in the light wherever the light's going I'm going to go so if it leads me this direction I'm going to go I will follow that light the fool says this can you move that light over here please I'm going this way. Can you? I need more light over here, please. This is my path. Bring it over here. This is where I'm going. That's what a fool does. A fool is not concerned with the truth. A fool wants the truth. He is the truth. Whereas a wise man knows that he's not the truth. A wise man follows the light. He adjusts to the light. A fool wants to adjust the light to himself. A fool will often, when the light won't adjust to him, he dims the light. He wants to turn it off. But the wise man, he changes himself. The fool tries to change the truth itself. They say, that's not a big deal. I hope in the back of your mind right now, you are just processing everything you've been reading for the past 48 hours. It's not a big deal. It's really not like that. It doesn't really mean that. Or they shoot the messenger. You're a bigot. You're a bigot. You should be silenced. You have no voice here. Whenever a fool gets feedback, their first move is defensiveness. They begin squinting at the light. They deny the reality. They minimize it. They externalize it. They shoot the messenger. They are never happy to hear it. And at times, they're often angry. And the messenger becomes the problem, not the fool. Here's what the Bible says. It says, with the wise person, talk to them. 
and then will love you for it and listen and get better, but not a fool. Do not correct a fool lest you incur insults upon yourself. Take note to all of you who want to argue with someone on Facebook about the wisdom of things that are happening right now because most of the time you're just becoming a fool, all right? Do not confront a mocker lest they hate you. Here's your strategy when you're done with a fool. Stop talking. Why? Because they've stopped listening. They're not open to instruction. They're not open to what you have to say. You have to put some limits on what you do and say with them. It may be foolish. It, it, it may be that they are foolish for reasons that you can address. Maybe you can give them feedback differently. Maybe you can ask questions to help reveal things. But there's a principle here that fools don't change when truth comes to them. But when the pain of not changing begins to inflict upon them, when the bridle's in the mouth, when the whip is inflicted, that's when change begins to happen. And you know what? That's not your job in the bigger situation we're talking about. That's not your job. I really, really, I've mentioned this to you before back in January when we did some training, Steve and I did, in New York City with one of our missionaries. And their premise is this, God's word and God's spirit is more powerful than anything you'll say. Keep people in God's word and let God's spirit do his work on them in their in his time. But really, this is, this, here is a truth that we have to acknowledge. That is, I mean, you just can't ignore it. And I don't need to hear any amens after I say this. But I am a recovering fool. Well, the only one I didn't, I just didn't want Betty to say that, all right? <laughs> all right? All of us are foolish to some degree. And Jesus died for fools. And he can redeem a fool from foolishness. The biggest problem with a fool is this, is that they've elevated themselves above the rightful place that God only God deserves. They don't reverently fear, they don't reverently fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. They don't fear the Lord. They're not concerned with what he thinks. They're not concerned with the direction he passed. They're not concerned with his instructions. They've elevated themselves and put themselves in his place. So instead of being the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what I think is the beginning of wisdom. What I believe is right is the beginning of wisdom. And so they removed God from his throne and they put themselves in his throne. And they say, now I'm God. Now what I think is right. Now what I do is right. And so that is the issue with fools. They have taken God out of his rightful place and they put themselves there. They don't listen to others. They don't listen to parents, bosses, teachers, preachers. So they've elevated themselves above all others. They're unteachable in every situation and in every relationship. They tell how smart they are, how often they're right about things. Fools talk while the wise listen. Fools talk about things they don't know while the wise listen to God. In chapter 1 here, note the promises here in verse 22. Let me see here, make sure I have that right. 
Verse, 20, um, verse 23. Matter of fact, let's, let's start in verse 22. I, I like that. He says, How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and I'll make my words known to you. But then he goes further in that same chapter, and I won't read them already, because he goes, but I've called you and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected my counsel. You did not want my reproof. And he goes, and so therefore I laugh at your calamity. What he's saying there is, therefore, the consequences of your foolishness are yours to live in. They're, they're yours. And so isn't that just so true with God? What you reap, you will sow. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. God says, whatever you reap, you're going to sow it. And so you reaped foolishness. Now you get to wallow in foolishness. But like I said, Jesus died for fools. So chapter 1, verse 33 says this. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from every dread of evil. Listen to me and live. Listen to me and live. See, God, God is here to redeem fools. All of us, at one time or another, had set ourselves up and says, I know best. All of us had said, this is what's best for me in my life. I'll take that woman if I want to. I'll take that money if I want to. I'll take that car if I want to. I'll take that power if I want to. Whatever we saw that we wanted and we took it means that we said that it was ours to be taken. And when we do that, we elevate ourselves to the place of God. And there are scores of people in this room who are recovering fools. Hi, my name is Tim, and I'm a recovering fool. Hi, Tim. That's what you're supposed to say. All right? Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. And we are recovering fools because Christ died to redeem us. Because Christ's blood covers up the sin of that. And as we respond to his instruction, we become more like him. Fools, there is no one outside of the reach of God's arm. There's no one outside the reach of Christ's blood. There's no one outside of, of, of being able to be redeemed. But we can see that God compares foolishness to wisdom. And wisdom listens to him and abides in him. And searches him out. If you want to know a great place to read one place, just read one place to understand the wisdom of following God, just read Psalm 119. And over and over and over again, it speaks of the wisdom and the wealth and the, and, 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 and the benefit of following God and making his word preeminent in your life. But, Those who don't, he says, are like fools, and they will suffer the consequences of their actions. This morning, it is appropriate for each and every one of us to look into our hearts and to ask God to reveal to us places where, as a recovering fool, we might need to give up control of to him. Places that we've said, this is still mine, not yours yet, Lord. I still want to control this part of my life. And there's places there where we probably need to confess to him 
that I'm being a fool in this area of my life. I think I'm right all the time here, Lord, and I need to acknowledge that I'm not, but you are. So my encouragement is for each of us to be looking into the Word of God, to be looking into, into Psalms 119, to be reading through Proverbs and seeing how these Proverbs and seeing ourselves there. That is what the Word of God is. It is a mirror to ourselves. And as we read it, we see, we see places where we're affirmed by His encouragement. We see places where we're convicted because our sin is in the Word and it's in our heart. So, this morning, the encouragement is that each of us allow God's Spirit to reveal to us those places where we're still fools and we need to repent of that and to confess that and allow Him to take over those areas of our life. And that we don't say that you need to readjust that light, but we say, I'll go where the light leads. All right? Let's pray.